This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. Back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTK.com. Sam Webb, Ira Weintraub on the other side, and we are joined by the MGO Blog crew. It is MGO Blog Roundtable time. I got to tell you, fellas, I heard your predictions about this Michigan Penn State game last week, and I got to tell you, you, you kind of fell short. I did too. I did too fall short of predicting Michigan's absolute decimation. Of Penn State. I, but I said it. 42 points for Michigan. What did you have for Penn State, though? He had 27. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's go ahead and introduce the crew. Starting with the man who started it off over at MGO Blog, Brian Cook. Brian, how are you? Good. Seth Fisher, who nailed 40, for almost 42 points. They had 41, so they were close. Seth, how are you? I, I'm good. I am feeling pretty uh, optimistic about Michigan's offense, obviously. And then, of course, the venerable Craig Ross. You heard me call him. Craig, how are you? I'm doing fine. You know, I spent a lot of time this week listening to and watching all these football videos of the Michigan-Penn State game. And uh, yours were phenomenal, Sam, the best by far uh, with Devin and, and Al Borges. And no, you got to use it their may- nicknames now. They have nicknames. Oh, the Prince and the King or something like that. Some crazy crap. Yeah. But, but uh, Devin is ridiculous. By you can tell name. him I said that. But he's great. But it's great fun to watch him, and he does a good job. But, the, uh, you know, it made me think that what's going on here is that uh, technology is the fundamental driver of social change. and in in the mini world of looking at 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 football uh every man is becoming a cubist i mean it isn't just uh you know picasso and uh and george brock but or juan Gris, but it's everybody else it, and so it's as if say al borges is michelangelo and brian cook and seth fisher are you know Jared Dow and Nicholas Mays becoming sort of the students of, 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 of the school. And, and so all of a sudden you've got all of this, all this information and all of this uh, evidence uh, on the internet uh, of, of what's going on in games. And, and to me, it's been fascinating, but I want Brian and Seth to talk about this. Well, I think, I, I think to me, what, what Brian uh, uncover with UFR is well, he was this, the first. This this fan base is totally unique in their appetite for the details of the game. I don't know that you could do that in any other with any other fan base, which is why when you say when Michigan offsets his back to the three receiver side, they're definitely throwing a screen. That's why they take it literally. Their fans, Michigan fans, take it literally and say, "Oh, they must be doing something wrong." And it's like, <laughs> "Oh my god." Oh my gosh, what are we talking about here? Right. So when you look at the game, yeah. Give me your take. Did you and you knew it was a possibility that they could blow Penn State out because they've done it before, but this, even though it was the narrowest margin in the last four uh meetings in Ann Arbor, it seemed like the most dominant turn. Well, yeah, I mean you rush for over four hundred yards. That was the biggest tension in the second half of the game, really was like, all right, is CJ Stokes going to put us over? And he did. Good job. Um, But so it's a Manny Diaz defense, right? And Manny Diaz defense is gambling. So they're going to slant and they're going to blitz from places and they're going to do some weird formational things. And if you don't know what you're looking at, then you can be in trouble. 
But in this game, it was Penn State who didn't know what they were looking at. So I know Devin already addressed this, but the two long touchdown runs, both of them had a lot to do with J.J. McCarthy's legs because on the Quorum one, you got a cornerback who's just hanging out. Even as Quorum's crossing the line of scrimmage, he's just hanging out, checking the quarterback. And then the the critical linebacker who's supposed to come from the backside and hold it down, he hesitates on, on the Edwards one. And that's because in the first half, Michigan should have had two pretty long touchdowns for for McCarthy, but the blocking didn't quite work out. And I think they probably went in at halftime and they were like, okay, this was real close to being two long touchdowns for McCarthy, so we got to focus on him. And then as soon as you do that, I mean, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards are just too good, and the blocking was just too good. Seth? Yeah, I mean, I went through all that in the next Sharpies too. It was just <clears> a, you know, they set it up for over a long period of time, and they gambled – um, trying to shut down the, you know, trying to scrape exchange and whatnot. And Michigan had answers for those too. So this was like the culmination of like all these concepts that we've just been talking about over the, you know, since maybe 2018, right? Where they bring out the arc package and they got split zone and they've got all this power game. The other thing is that um, Penn State's guys were gambling by going upfield all over the place. And that, that was just weird. Like, I don't know why that was your answer to Michigan. Because most teams will just try to stay in front of them because it's power, right? And like, okay, give up whatever they're physically going to push you, but no more than that. Um, Penn State was like opening up big gashes because they're just shooting up into gaps. And a lot of times I mean, you see a guy shoot up and he gets escorted by and like, okay, now we're now we're in business. But that's what Diaz wants to do. Like he's always been a guy who's just like, we're going to trade uh, chunks for tackles for loss. Mm-hmm. And... They just, I mean, they had a, a few here and there in this game, but they just got so consistently gashed that, and honestly, it should have been worse. Like, there were, were a couple incidents that were just like, oh, man, that was one block away from a 50-yard touchdown. So this is his first season at Penn State. His defense doesn't really look like they know what they're doing. They don't have the level of talent that they usually have at linebacker. But 400 yards against a team that, was overrated in terms of statistics and run defense coming in, but is a real Big Ten defense that has PJ Mustafer. They have some talent on that that front seven, and Michigan just left him in the dust. And one of the things that I thought was pretty nice is that there was a McCarthy run that went for eight yards, and then Michigan comes back and just goes power right at the same side, catches Penn State in a scrape exchange, and just blows it out. And that's another chunk for for Edwards. And just the sequencing in this game and the play calling, I think, was really encouraging. Even if they threw for the first time out a pistol on the first play of the game and they didn't even run play action. What are we doing? (laughs) Here's the thing. So as much as we highlight the sheer physical dominance, it stuck out to me that at no point in that game could James Franklin and Manny Diaz, they, they couldn't figure out how to stop them one time. How to slow them down at any time, except in the red zone. I mean, they made some plays uh, in the red zone, but really, that was your your defense. Hey, man, maybe we can get them to the maybe we can they get to the red zone and we can figure out some some pressures and and the field is constricted and and we can we can maybe get off the field that I mean, way. But think about when they went right unbounced down there. But I think Michigan, like they they had the throw to Edwards, like that was going to be a touchdown. That, that was, was a touchdown, missed, right? Yeah, and honestly, the the down G that got blown up, that's on quorum because you got a guy two yards in the backfield, and El Hadi's doing a decent job with him. If he cuts that up, oh, he's man. at least getting back to the line of scrimmage. He's probably getting to the one, and honestly, he's probably getting in the end zone. So they so, didn't even stop him there, right? I mean, he, no, it was just like sometimes there. <laughs> Michigan didn't have a perfect game, and that was the only reason they didn't score touchdowns. Right, every right. Time. So, and my point is, you 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 see that you see there are times. I mean, they didn't have they they broke out this this unbalanced power that Penn State couldn't even get lined up to. I mean, there was one time the linebacker steps to the line of scrimmage and he's pointing, he's pointing like, where are where are our defensive linemen, right? So you had the physical domination and then you had the coaching dominance too, where you just saw a coach in James Franklin when the camera panned to him, the look on his face was, I don't have a clue how to stop this. And you saw that on the field, Craig. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. It's interesting that there is a guy over at Penn State who does 
video reviews similar to what's going on here. And he was very reticent to lay much on the on the Penn State coaching. Oh, my God. Uh, and, uh, yeah, which I what? thought was, yeah, <laughs> I thought was some denial. But the uh, he kept saying that all that happened in this game was that Michigan's motion created more gaps and that and that sort of uh, Penn State defense didn't respond to the new gaps that were being created by Michigan's motion. And I thought, okay, yeah, the motion, he, he, they haven't seen motion all year. That's they what Michigan seen, does. That's the, that's, that's what, the offense. Not just Michigan. That's well, what, you know, and and to me, it, it, I mean, yeah, there was some of that. But the truth is, they had guys moving in the wrong direction. Even their really good players, uh, like uh, the corner from uh, Cast Tech, Kalen great King. player. King. Yeah, he's well, a great player. I mean, they're not yeah. organized, right? So there's that's, that. Yeah, exactly. There's like Michigan's running like the double arc, and you got two Penn State players biting on the run inside, so there's two Michigan tight ends out in space against one safety for a touchdown, yeah. and the safety makes a play, which is play. Yeah, oh my god! Right. <laughs> uh, so like, like they they are biting on stuff when it's not even their job. So they're not very well coached. I think they're going to have a pretty harsh reality check the second half of the season, and you know Michigan's not going to rush for 400 yards and probably another game. So, like, if they had hired Greg Schiano, if Greg Schiano had come loose and it was now the Penn State defensive coordinator, they'd be much better off than they are now. But that's not the case. Um, I just feel like once you have the established quarterback run game, and that's, like, not the focus of what you do, but it's part of what you do, it's just incredibly difficult to defend everything. Because they, they had to leave a safety back because they were afraid of Roman Wilson. And they had to check Blake Corum, and then you got JJ McCarthy popping out, and it's just like you can't defend all that. And so I have some sympathy for Diaz, even if I didn't think his team was very well coached, because like the, the amount of stuff Michigan was throwing at you and running it all very competently, that's just tough to keep up with. It is, and yet you know you're you're supposed to have some guys on it. You're supposed to be able to stop them one time, right? You got <laughs> they stopped it. Stop they stopped it one time. Uh, Wait. The, the the, uh, the, the pick six. Pick six. Uh, well, that was a bust on Michigan. Yeah, that was a bust on Michigan because I, I remember and I had to ask Borges about this at the game. You're you're running a slide in the direction that you have the tight end blocking out. You almost have to give cut JJ some slack because you're blocking a guy into where you know where he's rolling, where he's trying to throw the ball. So I, I mean, it, the tight end and I had to ask about it. Like what's because Borges didn't. He said I. The play structure seems kind of messed up, kind of funky here. So I asked about it, and the tight end is supposed to block down on that play, which makes more sense, right? But right. it it required a bust on Michigan's part for them to make a play. And but so, they, I mean, but they could, did it, Sam. They did it. <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't do anything in that game. And so here's what happens, though, guys. And, and you tell me where you are on this. Now the goalposts get get moved. We're talking about how poorly coached. Penn State is, right? Jane Franklin is talking about, well, we need to recruit better. We need to recruit bigger guys. As if as if he didn't recruit the guys on the team. Like, what are we no, talking about? he wants about? to this redesign is... the tunnel. That's the problem that he, that he identified <laughs> right, for this tunnel. game. <laughs> These are your guys. So the finish line gets moved. Penn State's overrated. What do you think? Is Penn State really overrated or is Michigan just that good? I think it's a combination. Like, a no self-respecting defense can give up 400 yards in a game and not reevaluate like how good they actually are, right? But as I mentioned, like you know, Michigan is able to throw a ton of stuff at you, and they run it all well. Like you talking, you were talking about a bus. Like how many other missed assignments were there in this game? Not many. And the sheer quantity of things, Michigan, like they're running gap stuff, they're running inside zone, they're running duo, they'll throw in the occasional outside zone. They got bash. They're running pin and pulls. Like the whole of modern football run game. It was present here, and missed assignments were very thin on the ground. So it's it's some of both. Yeah, I mean, I think Al in your uh, session, Sam said they ran duo twelve times, pin and pull seven times. They ran four arc zones, or calls them bluffs. Uh, five split zones. He ran power, uh, and and he said, "quote Power was lethal to Penn State in this game." And so, yeah, Michigan's running a whole lot of stuff. And they're running it 
by and large reasonably well and uh mostly where in this game it i think brian said and i think it's right it could have been worse i mean jj misses the easy screen throw to donovan edwards at, on the goal line uh the quorum play where i agree with brian he can cut up on that and be in walk into the end zone and uh, you know that the what happened here in in this game was mo in, was Michigan making mistakes, which is bizarre in the context of a game that they just com completely uh, demolished. Penn I mean, when you're when you're dominating a team that much, there's really nothing else you can point at except for mistakes. Now, college football teams make yeah. mistakes. That's just that's just going to happen. But like, we didn't even talk about the other side of the ball, and I just got done right. doing that, and like that was a coaching blowout as well. Like. Minter just had them all over the place. I think it was one of my highest um, rock, paper, scissors scores. Where, like, they were Penn State, and maybe this is just goes back to Michigan's schedule this year, where we just really haven't had a team that scared us that much until this week because Michigan was so prepared for, you know, they knew exactly what a Manny Diaz defense does. They were ready for them to shoot up their gaps and, and push them by, and that's not how Michigan normally blocks them. They were ready to mess with uh with with their how they do their gaps and they messed up with their they messed up their rules entirely like i can't tell you how many times a penn state guy did not spill and they have a linebacker moving outside and then on the other side of the ball it's the same thing like penn state goes to do something and michigan is absolutely ready for it there's a sean clifford uh attempt where they penn state does this every game they put a bunch of guys to all out out wide then they run the, the running back out there too and the idea is to get just four or five guys in the box against Sean Clifford and Clifford then makes a run. And Michigan is just so prepared for this thing. They have they're slanting. Mozzie Smith just kind of shoves a couple guys past him. He takes on the polar and Michigan's uh, slanting right inside there and Jalen Harrell makes a tack, uh, tackle in the backfield. And it's like, there is no way that play is going to work. And Michigan just, they're ready for it. They had it all scouted. They'd seen it all on tape and they're prepared for it. I, it was astounding how well prepared Michigan was for this game. Yeah, I, I remember coming out of the Indiana game, uh, hearing Vance talk about disguises. And he said, you know, one of the best things about early in the season was, you know, it's not just the pressure, it's the way they disguise it. And he, he said, we didn't see as many disguises uh, against Indiana. And I remember thinking, well, why is that? You know, what, what was it about Indiana? And I just think that it was a part of keeping a little something in the toolkit because the, the pressure disguises against, uh, against Penn State. They didn't know when he was bringing pressure, and when he brought it, they didn't know where it was coming from. I mean, it was, it was mercy. <laughs> it was like raising my hand, like I, I can't stop beating on my behind. I can't. We can't. We can't do this. The one play that they did make, and this was one time where it was sort of a mistake by Michigan in the long run uh, for for Sean Clifford, and it was the post safety because they they made a their their tackle great individual effort. To mm -hmm. to block uh to block Barrett on the scrape exchange that play is going to get 10, 12 yards it shouldn't have gotten yeah sixty but your safety bites on the on the dive right but but that was like one really good play but other than that you wouldn't know Nick Singleton is this guy we've been talking about right you wouldn't know that this they have any explosiveness offensively at all because they made like one and the fade and they made the fade they uh, threw yeah, the fade. Yeah. That was it. That's all they had all day. Well, I, I mean, one reason that they didn't disguise a lot against Indiana is that if you put four kittens on your defensive line, three of them would sack <laughs> Connor Basilek. <laughs> so there wasn't really a whole lot of need. Uh, but Penn State is is a, is a different level, obviously. Like they, Their left tackle is a guy who's getting NFL hype in after six starts, and I think that's pretty realistic. And then it felt like Michigan was not going all out after Clifford because the most dangerous thing about the Penn State offense is when Clifford's improvising. Yeah. And I mean, they had those what, receivers locked down. They had the, the running backs locked down. And, I mean, Jake Moody had Nick Singleton locked down. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great it's a tackle. Great, great I, tackle. I, a question for, for you guys on, the, on their long play on the Clifford, uh, on the Clifford run. It's clear that the safety is has bit on the on the uh, running back and and isn't in the right spot. But but could Barrett have handled that a little better? Didn't he get upfield too far well, uh, on the Barrett, No, because Barrett's job is to angle towards the quarterback. 
Like, if you yeah, remember he's, when he's, we were all excited about Don Brown, there was a play against with uh, BC versus Notre Dame where, like, both the linebacker and the defensive end meet the running back and quarterback at the same time. That was the play call we had. Well, so it, it Barrett's got to keep contain. Right. Because if he loses contain, you get a big play. And <clears throat> so his main responsibility there is to make sure the quarterback goes inside of him. And then someone else from the defense has to rally. And given the play call and the, the yardage situation, it's reasonable that linebackers bury themselves in the line and you get your first down. But as, as Sam said, the reason that it broke big was Broadmore getting out of position. So Barrett to me did what he needed to do. And then the great play from the left tackle. Yeah, I it was a great plot. He, he yeah. saw, he saw, cause they're, they're doubling. The the tackle and guard are, are doubling on a three tech and three tech leaves right now. He leaves right away. Mm. And so that frees the tackle up. He has to be thinking on his feet. And he was. He immediately went for for Barrett, who I initially thought, and Vance corrected this as well. I said, well, maybe he didn't come, maybe he didn't come tight enough. Mm. And he did. The guy just made a block. Sometimes, I mean, they have scholarship guys too. And sometimes their guys just make plays. That, yeah, that guy, was that, guy it, that guy made a play. That, and that the, awa- the awareness to, to see that there's no second level and that if there's no second level, something's wrong <laughs> and you need to go find someone to block, that's that's pro stuff right there. So yeah. it was really nice. One time that. all day, though. And even One. that was about <clears throat> a Michigan mistake. So, man, this was this was as, as good as you uh, an effort as you could have hoped for heading into the bye. Again, you guys mentioned the tunnel. We got to raise this. So James Franklin, he he's after the game. He's he's embarrassed. It was a half time a halftime where it was still a game, surprisingly. And there's a little dust up in the tunnel, right? So after they get their asses kicked, now he's in in the press conference talking about the tunnel and how big a problem it's going to be. Now you guys are some Michigan historians. You can tell me in the 100 years of Michigan State, has there ever been a major issue, a major tunnel issue between teams. I ask this because he is contending now that there's going to be a major issue moving forward after 100 years, it seems to me, of no issue. So, But correct me if I'm wrong, because I need to consult the historians. Is there a record of a tunnel issue at Michigan Stadium, Seth? It was not between – all right, so yeah, Michigan and Ohio State got in a dust-up last year in the tunnel. Um, but the <sighs> prior to that, the biggest incident that ever happened was not between the teams, but between fans. Because 1941, Michigan State fans got in the building and started running all around the uh, the field, and then got into the tunnel, and it was just a mess. Like it took it took an hour to clean all these creeps out. So I I mean the lesson of that is not like the tunnel is the problem. The problem is never invite Michigan State back into your building. Um, but <laughs> that that's the only real incident they ever had with that nineteen brawl. <laughs> we need to get the nomenclature right about what happened here. There was an article that was like, Oh, James Franklin talks about fight in Michigan Tunnel. That wasn't a fight. It wasn't a fight. <laughs> if the if the worst thing that happens is someone throws a sandwich, it's not a fight. <laughs> right? It's right. like you could call it maybe a fracas or a kerfuffle. I think kerfuffle is right. Whenever there's like food just some fight. guys. No, it's it's like ah, <laughs> and it's like okay. So there were some people yelling at each other in the t- in the in the tunnel. Was it spicy? Yes, it was. Does that mean it's better? Yes, it does. But anything <laughs> that is spicy is good. So the tunnel, everybody should have one tunnel, and there should always be woofing. Like until <laughs> until someone starts throwing a projectile that is not soft and delicious, we're gonna let it ride. <laughs> I agree with you, man. It's uh, he's. He's actually talking. He's spending press conference time on this. And if oh. I'm a fan of Penn State, I'm like, man, this you talk about deflection. Yeah, you that's... don't want us to focus on Michigan just beat your behind badly. Bad. They abused you. And your answer is we got to recruit better. As if, like I said, as if you didn't recruit the guys on this squad. Come on, man. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. But hey, that's, that's James uh... Franklin for you. You're absolutely right. I mean, as opposed to talking about the game or what happened or the coaching deficiencies, he's going to say, well, our players just aren't good enough. And two, what about the tunnel? Right. What, you know, what, so are, these, it's, what are you supposed to say after you give up 400 yards rushing? Well, like I think, if I was at a press conference after my team gave up 400 yards rushing, I'd be talking about 
anything tunnel. except football. Yeah. The tunnel, the Nintendo Switch, whatever <laughs> it is. Hey man, I'd be you like, know what I would do. I'd be honest. I was woefully inept, and you know I'd be I, why I feel confident in that my check is still going to clear. You just signed me to a ten-year deal. I'm fine. <laughs> they got to pay me anyway, so I'm gonna be. I'm gonna at least be honest. I'm not gonna insult the intelligence of my fans unless he just thinks they're that stupid. I don't know. Maybe that says something too. But he was just totally acting like I'm not respect. He did that before with his. When the uh, when they were losing recruits, and yeah. he said, "Yeah, you know, we we got to recruit better," as if to say the guys in the class. He had to address that with well, the guys that were in the class, saying, "We got to recruit better." What about us, coach? Now, guys are actually on the team, and he's saying we have to recruit better, as if they were the issue. If you can't come up with one thing to tell me as a player, to come up with one stop in the game, that's a you problem, not a me problem. And not one time did they make one adjustment to fix anything on the field that day. You, could, you would think they would be able to slow down one rushing uh, effort on one drive. They could never do it. Yeah, I mean, how hard would it be to come out and say, hey, they kicked our asses? One. Thank you. Two, you know, two, uh, you know, I, I love my players. You know, uh, you know, I think we've got good players here. I think we, you know, did not do the greatest job of scouting or putting together a plan against Michigan. But, you know, we're going to, the season isn't over for us. We still have big games and, and we think we can, you know, we can do better going forward. How about that? How That's hard is you, that? You know, you, you know what, James, you know what, James, if, if your, your players are the problem, send them back. You got a couple guys from cast. Tech. Send them back. <laughs> yeah. So we'll take, we'll take them. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. The press, the press corps actually has a big hand in this too. So like when Penn state reporters ask for james franklin about stuff it's always like well uh what conspiracy theory can we come up with today and michigan reporters are like what happened on that down g why didn't you block it right <laughs> why are you tipping your bubble screens they ask questions like that like yeah and then the michigan state press is just like oh what can i do today to soothe your feelings <laughs> All right, we got to get to a break. As we do, speaking of Michigan State, because we'll we'll segue into the Spartans and we'll spend the whole time next week talking about it. But mileage out of a player between Mel Tucker and the mileage from Kenneth Walker and James Franklin and the mileage from Saquon Barkley, I contend that other than for a non-quarterback, those may be the two biggest examples that I can remember of a coach riding the coattails of a player to significant financial benefit. Both of those guys seem to me their accomplishments were based on those two guys, what say you? I mean, yes. Penn State's offensive coordinator was as much to do with that as Barkley. They weren't getting anything with Barkley uh, until they had um, Moorhead, right? Uh, I think both guys had <laughs> a hand in that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Barkley, Barkley was amazing, but like Joe Moorhead was the when they had, when their offense was great, when they were just like, oh my god, I can't. That's so brilliant to make you know Rashawn Gary jump up field that way. Like that was Joe Moorhead, and that's what yeah. That's I what mean, he's I, around I, himself with good coaches in the past. Yeah, I think you're right, Sam, and it, and it shows you what goes on in recruiting and why coaches are willing, uh, perhaps, to figure out how many dollars they can give to to recruit A or right? recruit B because it's chump change vis-a-vis -vis what what that coach may ultimately receive no and, uh, and and if you're getting like 95 million of guaranteed monies uh you're willing what, to do a lot what did franklin have he had great he had a few great coordinators he had brent pry on defense until just recently right and like manny diaz is his hire because like that guy was head coach in miami but you know diaz is a is a whole thing and i mean brent pry was the real deal and like they had a good defense because brent pry had them organized he had good recruits he recruited to their system they had um what was his name banks the guy who was recruit uh, doing the defensive backs for them until he went to tennessee like Tim, they, Tim yeah i mean they had some real dudes in that in that staff and like they were coming into michigan and taking our guys because you know people want to play for those dudes and i i think that keeping franklin which is the weakest part of that whole organization is the um it was probably the worst idea they could have had yeah 
All right, we need to get to a break. We're gonna we're gonna switch gears and get over into the Spartans. This this the, as far as the run game is concerned, they're toothless, but they have talent at the receiver position. But this game last week, I don't know how much you guys watched it. I just thought it was a a, a race to see who could be the most inept, right? And Michigan State happened to be a little less inept than Wisconsin. They wound up coming out on top. We will dive into that. Start previewing the matchup on the other side here. MGo Blog Roundtable on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050. WTKA, the ticket. Clear on the radio. Yeah, Mertz is worse than I thought. Mertz I mean, is terrible. Oh, gosh. I, I couldn't believe I'm watching that game and there was one play. It was a beautiful play action pass and he drops back and he's like, there must be someone wide open, right? Because he lets go of the ball very quickly after the fake. Yeah. And there's not a there's not a Wisconsin receiver in the frame. They're just two Michigan State guys, and it hits one Michigan State guy in the hands. He hands. he can't catch it. It hits the other Michigan State guy in the hands. He can't catch it. And still, there's no Wisconsin receiver in the frame. I don't know who he was even throwing the football to. Yeah, they're uh, they're a mess right now. Um, uh, I I just don't know. And I wonder if if Jim Leonard can even hang on there. Because uh, it isn't clear to me they're going to win a whole lot of games, even. Yeah, man. I yeah, mean, I, I I don't know how the fan base is going is going to react to uh to games like to a game like that and maybe other games like that going forward. But Mertz, you know, boy, that when when they got Mertz, I know Wisconsin fans they just thought he this was it. We finally got this four star slash five star quarterback, whatever he was, and. Uh, you know, he hasn't done it for him at all. I mean, Jack Cohn was better there for sure, among <laughs> others. It's almost like they flew too close to the sun. Like they were Wisconsin, they were doing Wisconsin things, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. like they try to have a quarterback too. Like, no, 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 Wisconsin, you can't do that. You can't, you can't be Wisconsin and have a quarterback. That's just not right. Is it possible to see a thirty-five hundred yard, thirty TD season by a QB under Harbaugh at Michigan, or a thousand yard season by a wide receiver? You think so? No, I don't. <sighs> No, our schedules uh, are too weak. Right? Like we're gonna I run mean, the, the back <coughs> because, like, they keep on playing all these turkeys at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I don't know if I care about that very much. Um, you need more JJ runs in the red zone. What do you think about that one? I mean, in the red zone, you can bring down the safety, so it's actually a little bit harder to run. Uh, you know, QB stuff because part of that whole game is you know the they have safeties back, so they just don't have enough guys if you add the QB to the run game. Well, once you're compressed, now it's just more about, you know, getting your blocks in and everything. I thought that play, the, the two-point conversion was brilliant um, because they'd already run Edwards outside. I know they missed the throw, but, like, you know, they've got two tight ends out there, and, you know, the cornerback's the only guy who can make the play, and he's got to maintain outside. So, you know, once Ronnie Bell has that ball, it, it's just over. And I, the way that they'd set that up I thought was just beautiful. I was... I, I wish they maybe used that to score four points instead of two, but that was my only complaint. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, the comment up about listening to Franklin. I mean, it's like Franklin <laughs> took lessons from Tom Izzo. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it was pathetic. <clears throat> so I have a question, Sam, for you. On I mean, we're losing. I assume two of our three corners next year. Yeah, man, it's a tough one. Uh, and and we're not recruiting at corner at all right now. Oh so, yeah, there? yeah they are. Yeah they are. Yeah. Um so the and I I'm still digging on mm-hmm. Chris Peel. Uh the I, kid. I assume so, they lost him already. That's not true. So you know they were they were trending pretty tough. I think tougher than a lot of the the SEC fans were letting on. He he did really like Georgia. But they were yeah. saying he was going to visit Georgia again, and and he didn't make it when they said he was going to make it. Uh, they That's have three in about twenty seconds, guys. They have three big time corners in the class, right? Uh, Michigan, I know, was feeling really, really good about it. Um, I know that's one of the schools they were getting down to this week. So I, I'm going to check, be checking into it today and okay. tomorrow to kind of see where where they think that- things stand. And then the other kid is Jair Hill, who was just on campus last week. Stand by, guys. They're in a battle with Illinois for. Kalen King, come on home. Come on home, Kalen. So, Brian Cook, Michigan State will play Michigan better than Penn State. True or false? Um, True, I guess, because uh, it would just be hard to be as bad as Penn State was. And there's 
I mean, Michigan's going to come into this game and they're going to be like, all right, we ran for 400 yards against this team. Uh, against Penn State, we're going to try to do it again. And that might not be the best way to attack Michigan State because their secondary, Graham Mertz notwithstanding, is horrible. Horrible. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> so, you know, to me, it, you, if you have the confidence in JJ to let him drop back at home, go after the secondary in the first half, you're going to score 21, 28 points in that half. Um, but one thing that Michigan State has proven is that if you want to line up and smash mouths at the one-yard line, they can deal with that. And that was without Jacob Slade, who's come back. They got Xavier Henderson back last week. So I think their defense is going to perk up a little bit because they've been missing a, a number of really important pieces. So, and, you know, ever since, you know, they lost to Washington, they've been prepping for this game and this game alone probably because they knew that their season wasn't going anywhere. So what are they going to do? They're going to try to win their Super Bowl. And I think Michigan uh, is going to be pretty prepared for that because they haven't had exactly a whole lot of tests so far either but you know michigan state's always going to come up for this game and play their asses off and hopefully this year they're so bad it won't matter yeah i think back to last year's game uh guys and i think the most surprising thing to me was how well their front seven played michigan's run uh in, in retrospect it, it makes it makes sense i mean it makes sense for any team to sell out against the run right but it exposed their secondary and every guy had a career day against Michigan State secondary last year. And if you have a quarterback worth the salt, there are going to be some openings. So if, if history is an indicator, Seth, it would seem that Brian is spot on that. Yeah, you go in looking to establish a run like always. And you have a quarterback, more imminent quarterback run threat this year that would make you feel more confident, even more confident in it. But, man, the meat on the bone is in the passing game in this one. It was sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they. They still have the same guys in the in the secondary. Like Brian mentioned, they got Xavier Henson back. But, I mean, he's a good run defender. He's not a good pass defender. He's just not fast enough, right? I mean, the guy's been out there for, for a long time, but he just, just doesn't have the speed. Now, they did reconfigure their defense against Wisconsin, and I thought this was interesting. Jacoby Winman was the um, UNLV, UNLV uh, linebacker. They were playing him at defensive end all year. Uh, and then they were playing Ben Van Sumeren, we all remember him, as their other linebacker. So they moved Winman back to linebacker, which where is where he's better. He's actually a pretty good coverage guy, and he's you know he's just he's a linebacker. And then they are starting Zion Young, who's a true freshman at defensive end. Um, he's kind of like the guy that you know he was a little underrated, but like he's six six two sixty, like he's a he he can play. Uh, but they've got these young defensive ends now, and they're not really sure what they have there. So I maybe you can kind of play with that. I would stay the heck away from Jacob Slade because he is you know he dominated them last year. And then the secondary, they um, they're throwing out Dylan Tatum now. If you know, everyone remembers him from West Bloomfield, and no, I think Michigan is as familiar with him as anybody because Ron Bellamy coached him and Michigan recruited him, and they know exactly who he is. And the rest of the guys, like you know Charles Brantley, is not a great corner. Amir Speed is that guy from Georgia who, you know, was not playing in Georgia, and we saw why last year. Angelo Gross came back as their other safety. So I mean, all their players are in the front seven. Um, except for Xavier Henderson, who's also a run stopper. So it's obvious where you attack these guys. Yeah. The big difference between this year and last year is probably Kenneth Walker <laughs> and, and the fact that uh, MSU's run game uh, this year has been not great. Uh, the guys they replaced Walker with are not Walker. Uh, and I don't see them having great success uh, running the ball. I mean, they're going to have to win – uh, with Thorne throwing it. I think Thorne is a good quarterback. I think he's a lot better than Mertz. Uh, and I think Reed is a good wide receiver, and, and that poses some problems uh, for Michigan, but not if you're one-dimensional. Um, you know, I think you can't come in and win with a one-dimensional game. On the other hand, I mean, last year, I think Cade threw for 350 yards, 380 like yards against them. And, uh, and I, I suspect, this year that state's going to come in they're going to sell out to the run gotcha. and and they're going to uh you know your michigan's going to have yeah. to have number nine beat them and probably beat them with his arm yeah. now michigan can do that and i suspect they will do that but I, I 
as to your initial question, I think they'll play Michigan tougher than Penn State did. Because as Brian points out, three kittens and a bag of uh, cereal <laughs> would have would have probably played better. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that if you look at what they've done on the ground on both sides of the ball this year, Michigan should just obliterate this team. They've given up five yards of carry to Minnesota, Maryland, and Ohio State. Their offense, they have played five games against Power 5 teams. They have cracked three yards of carry in one game, that against Maryland. They got a total of seven rushing yards against Ohio State, 42 against Washington, 38 against Minnesota, and 99 against Wisconsin. That's, I mean, without a historic turnaround on both lines, this is going to be similar to the Penn State game in that it just looks like a high school team playing a college team. I mean, Slade might be a big difference. Like he is a really good player. And so that, that could be something that changes what's happening. But if you're flinging freshman defenses, defensive ends ends in mid season, cause your run game isn't up to par. That's not going to help. So yeah, I think, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. go ahead. They're scrambling for answers and I don't think they're going to get them over the bye week Yeah. I think it's pretty clear. Uh, <laughs> they can't run the ball. This game, their their opportunity here is they have talent at receiver. And, and Peyton Thorne, he's taking a beating, but he will stand in there and he can he can deliver some dimes downfield at the time. We saw him do it on fourth down against Michigan last year. Yeah, right? they're the best so, fourth and twelve team I've ever seen. <laughs> right. So <laughs> so they have some weapons. So you hope you can you can take advantage of Michigan through the air in spots, knowing that your quarterback is going to take some punishment, but get back up. And then on the other side, can you force Michigan to be in a position where they have to win it on JJ's arm? That that probably is still a recipe for uh, for disaster, as far as I'm concerned, for them. But that's really their only hope. And so one of the one of the uh, listeners said, "Mentor needs to be ready for tempo and phase." And I think that is a very astute observation. We saw tempo bother Michigan last year because they tried to substitute. Uh, this year, that hasn't been as much of a, a, a theme as uh, being assignment sound against Tempo. But in this last game against Penn State, they tried to substitute against Tempo and got a penalty. So if they can take care of that, tighten up against fade balls, which we saw them get hit on a couple times the last few weeks, it's going to be a tough road to hold for Michigan State. Yeah, they're going to have they're going to have trick plays. They're going to have a throw to the quarterback, and Jaden Reed is legit. So I mean, this is going to be a real test for the cornerbacks. Um, or you know, like Mike Samer still is going to get on him too. I I mean that guy is that's just what Michigan State does, right? They're going to go out there, they're going to play the random random uh, random number generator, and you know State that's really the best thing they've got going for them is they're incredibly lucky. You know they they get calls, they get they connect on fourth and six when they throw a fade. They do low percentage things and they work out for them. And like you know we've been sitting around waiting for. You know, Carmen. I mean, what's the what's the, not happening? What's the definition of working out? Because they're <laughs> three and four and not going to a bowl game. So, like, I don't know how well it's working out. One thing of yeah. note is that Michigan's a number three team in the country in yards per attempt given up. So, this past defense, I mean, they haven't played a, a ton of great quarterbacks, but how scared are you of Jaden Reed versus Mike Sainer still? Not really, right? Like he'll probably make some yards, but it's going to take him a number of targets to get there. And if you want him to do anything significant, well, he's going to have to sit back in that pocket and Michigan's going to get after it. They use Thorne on the ground because they have really no other, no other alternative. And there have been a couple of games this year where he's looking a little bit Sean Clifford-esque by the third or fourth quarter where he just takes too many hits. So if Michigan State wants to be in this game i think they're going to have to get off to a quick start because playing from behind is not going to work yeah yeah i agree with that i th- i think uh, uh michigan will be able to get after uh, uh thorn particularly where the michigan state ground game is unlikely to be much uh, i think the michigan state's best chance of gaining yards on the ground is scrambles by thorn and not their sort of organic running game so yeah, man, Mike Zainristo has been a revelation, man. Yeah, has, has he? Yeah. I mean, has he? Has he really been much different than Dax Hill? Yes. So, I yes. wanted to get you guys. <laughs> take so, so wait, but wait, but pause because I asked Vance. I asked Vance this question because he was. I mean, the dude was just 
And understandably so, Gaga over over Dax. He's like, man, Dax is great. Dax, Dax, great. Dax, mm-hmm. great. And so I put the question to him last week: Who's the best player on defense? My contention is this: Mike Morris. He's been balling. He said, "Okay, I, I, that's a good call." But he said, "I got to throw Little Mike in there." He calls him Little Mike. He said, "Little Mike has been a baller." He expanded on that this week. Oh, really? And he and he sort of concurred with a take that was coming out of spring ball. So I remember talking to some players and even some coaches that were saying, hey, yeah, we might not have the box presence that we had with Dax because Dax is just this, this amazing all-around guy with his athleticism. But we feel like from a coverage perspective, at least we will not be taking a step back with Mikey. And I'm thinking to, to myself at the time, man, I mean, he knows he's a he's a receiver. He knows the offense. He knows He knows the other guys. He knows their tendencies. Before I buy that, I got to see it against other competition. Well, through seven games, guys, it really seems like that wasn't just, you know, coach speak or practice talk. He's been able to translate that to the field. And and Vance took it a step further. He said from a coverage perspective, just man-to-man coverage, he said I can make the argument that I think that Mikey has been better in just pure man-to-man coverage. Now, he said not he's not the better all-around player. Dax every day. You get no argument here. I've been charting he's a this. better all-around guy, but coverage. He said, "I think Mikey. You can make an argument. He's been better. What say you got? Yeah, you're, you got no argument here. I mean, I'm Stainer Stills charting better than Dax Hill did as a as a coverage guy. I mean, Dax would have a couple coverage busts um, per game, or one or you know one or two. He was Dax was incredible, but like Stainer Stills, I we had an argument on the podcast about whether like the the play call on fourth and six when they just uh, when they throw a corner route. To Parker Washington and Brian's like oh you know you got man coverage you got the right angle yeah that's that's not a bad play and I'm like well it is if you're throwing it at Mike Sainer still because that guy he well he gets... I mean that ball went right through the wide receiver's hands so it had to be in a great yeah. place and it wasn't a great place also Michigan's defense on that was a zero coverage <laughs> that was specifically de- designed to blow up mesh mm-hmm. so in that situation I mean, that's not a terrible play call. No, um, it wasn't a terrible play call. It was just <clears throat> Mikey Samer still takes it away because when, no, when he, I, I mean it was it was it went through the receiver's went, yes, hands. Yes, it went through his hands, but the but the uh, that was the only way he could have caught that because what he had to do was slow. Yes, off. with his hands, that is the only way. he could have <laughs> <tried>. <laughs> Stop! I can't say the way because the way that one works out is is like Parker Washington. He's running. Samer still is running his route form. Samer still is getting a leg in front of him. Okay, he's about to PBU this. So Parker Washington is your receiver. The only option you have at that point is to slow up and then reach out. So he has to make a diving catch. And the reason his hand doesn't get up just in, in time is because it's actually bumping Samerstill's helmet on the way up. So like when I'm going through yeah, frame he- by frame and saying, like, how does that play happen? Yes, it ends up going through his hands. And we got the shot and it goes through his hands. He could have made a great play. You're asking yeah, someone to make that this great is- of a play. To beat this is the this is the point that, that encapsulates what both of you guys are saying. Uh, in essence, it had to be an absolute perfect ball to to uh, to to Steph's point, to Brian's point. It was as close to perfect as it could be, and it it, it could not be hauled in. I mean that that's the kind of of coverage that you've been getting from Mikey Sanders this this year. And so I gotta I gotta at least to this point I gotta concede that. I remember when they told me that I was like, man, come on. <laughs> it's like this is some practice stuff if I ever heard it. Now I gave it a little more life because players were were co-signing. Right? Sometimes coaches tell you something you're like, come on, come on, and you you and the same thing with the players and you want to hear it from the other side. And they both were saying the same thing. Even still, I'm like, well, before you go that far, I want to see what happens against another team. And he's been doing it. He's been he's been a revelation. As has this this pressure, man. I mean, you see so many guys that are able to make great individual plays. I mean, the play that you talked about with Jalen Harrell, mm-hmm. I, I mean, man, to make to, to make that stop on, on Clifford in the backfield, it's like you, you're seeing guys across the board make plays like that. Maybe not every game other than Mike Morris, but someone else is showing up, you know, on a game-by-game basis, whether it's Harrell or Yabi, someone else is, is really making a box play that, that stands out. Yeah, there's definitely a sort of a, there's no star on the defense, but it is a defense by committee that's working out pretty well right now. And we'll see if that stands up against the acid test at the end of the year. But so far, 
Looks like Michigan has a defense that's not much of a drop-off from last year, if it is at all. Yeah, and that's given, another thing. <laughs> that's another thing that I doubted. I, I, I want you to finish your thought, Because well, well, Harbaugh said that, and I'm like, come on, man. Come on, man. But, Brian, that's what it looks like, right? I mean, I, they're not as good at defensive end as they were, but the drop-off isn't as big as I thought it was going to be because Mike Morris is, is really playing better than I expected. Like, I thought he was going to be Chris Wormley, and he's he's been much more consistent as a pass rusher. So you get, you know, Jamon Green's keeping Will Johnson on the bench. You got three safeties who you think are playable. You got an injury at linebacker that is causing minor issues, but you got depth at defensive tackle now. You have four defensive tackles that I think you can play. And that hasn't been the case for Michigan in the three or four years. And when it was the case, their defense was so much better. I mean, it's just so game-changing to be able to put in a fresh Mozzie Smith in the third or fourth quarter because you've got enough depth to put Mason Graham and Benny and Rayshon Benny out there and get him enough breathers that he's still that effective in the fourth quarter. And we're seeing teams that go up against Michigan, those defensive lines are not holding up deep into those games, right? Mm-hmm. So Michigan right, can we, do that. We got to get out of here. So let me prepare you guys for next week. And this is mainly for Seth because I know this just upsets his his inner sort of spirit Uh-oh. when when we talk smack about Michigan State. I will lose all professional decorum next week. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I prepare you for that. I want you to condition <clears throat> your mind, okay. Seth. That when we come back next week and we're talking Michigan State, that it, it won't be the the regular sort of roundtable. It won't be the regular sort of week. You I, know, this I, is my problem is that they all find me on Twitter and they blame me for the things that you say. You point it to me. Yeah, because I, I mean, my mission in life that week is to make more Michigan State fans hate me, and, and I I don't know if that's possible, but I'm certainly going to try to find out. You're very good at it. Sam. So so we are going to have some fun next week. So that's mainly for you, Seth, and for anyone whose sensibilities are offended by us talking about Michigan State and how inept, inadequate, and, and underserved by their coach that they are. We're going to do all that next week. So look forward to it, guys. Going to have a spirited roundtable and a spirited week next week. You guys are the best. You know I appreciate This is right. Exactly. Exactly, Ben. Regular Sam goes bye-bye. 100% correct. This week in Ohio State. So we got to get out of here. Fun as always. Thanks for another great roundtable. We will see the rest of you tomorrow. 